Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your word. And uh, we pray that you uh, just will pour yourself out on us today, Lord, and give us understanding. And we're so thankful the way you've uh, helped us the last two services, Lord. And we just ask that you would continue to teach us and help us to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you, you got this uh, dispensation of the the dispensations, I would call it, of the Holy Spirit, and a lot of misconceptions about that, but the Holy Spirit's been around since before the world was formed, and, uh, and He was always a part of the Old Testament, <clears throat> and he's, he's here early in the New Testament, all the way through, and then, then on, on the day of Pentecost, <clears throat> after Jesus had ascended back to the Father, the Holy Spirit came in a, in a different measure, in a greater measure, I would say, and was offered not only to Jews, but Gentiles. That's a game changer. Because that's what Peter said. Hey, looks like the Lord's given the Gentiles the Holy Spirit like us. <laughs> so that was what was a game changer, right? But the Holy Spirit's always been very active, uh, but he was offered just it was a, kind of the similar thing as salvation, you know. Salvation is of the Jews first. But uh, the, the, the salvation, Paul said, hey, I'm going to the Gentiles. You know, you guys, as a group, as a nation, they re- rejected Jesus. Israel did. And so he said, I'm going to the Gentiles. So for those people that think the Holy Spirit only showed up in the book of Acts, they're horribly mistaken. He's always been around, always been at work. And that, uh, see, this is still not the dispensation of of the resurrection hasn't happened here early in Luke, but as we've read in Luke already, uh, and if I can go back into this first chapter, it says that, that you're talking about having a great advantage. John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Spirit coming out of the womb. I mean, that's a great advantage. But that was part of God's plan. He needed him to be filled with the Spirit. And then Elizabeth uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary showed up. That's what the Bible says. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, and where we're going to pick up today, here in verse 67, uh, Luke 1 and 67, uh, we'll see that the Father was also filled with the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. So we welcome all you that have joined us here, wherever you're watching us from uh, today. Those of you that will get this podcast later on, we welcome all of you all. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Now his father, speaking of John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So anytime anybody spoke for the Lord, whether it was Isaiah, actually Acts says that, that the Holy Spirit was in Isaiah prophesying. Samson, you know, I used that verse last night. Samson had the Spirit of the Lord where he would come and supernaturally empower him. So... He's prophesying. Here's what he said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Notice the plan, though. Notice this is a Jew guy. He's a priest. He's John the Baptist's father. And listen how he prays here and prophesies. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So that's fulfillment. Uh, of what God had spoken in the Old Testament. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, whom have since, whom have, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies 
and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to redeem His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the high, speaking of John, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. And that's clear doctrine on salvation, right? They're going to be saved by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give, up, to give light to those who sit in darkness and a shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's a good word, right? And that's what God has offered to all of us uh, through His Son, eternal life, like we read last night in Romans. Uh, he's uh, showing mercy to the world by giving us or offering us eternal life. So the child grew, became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and the world should be registered. The census first took place and Quirinius was governor, governing Syria, so all went to be registered. Everyone to his own city. Now, a lot of times people will just read this at Christmas time and just kind of get the feel-good message out of it. But it's good for us. And I believe, I really know the Holy Spirit is emphasizing the book of Luke right now. And you'll see as we work our way through here. It says, uh, <clears throat> So they went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up to Gal from Galilee into the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, or house of bread, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed to, of her, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them and the end. It's interesting how the Bible says that. It doesn't say there was no vacancy. It said there was no room for them. All right? And I was thinking about that. We see maybe right off the bat the rejection of the Messiah as soon as he shows up. No room for them. And, uh, of course, the Lord's got a plan. Jesus, as we talked about last night, he had to, he had to lay his life down. He had no sin and so here's the journey. Here, stepping into the world is the Savior of the world. He stepped into the world that day. And they didn't have a room for him. They didn't have room for him. So they took him out in a lowly place, in a manger. Now that's the question, right? That is, that is the Biggest question for the entire world. And I put this on this board. Do you have room for Jesus? 
That's the question, right? Do you have room for him? Too busy? Other things mean too much to you? Are you chasing something else? Are you too prideful? Do you have room for Jesus? Remember what the one woman did with the prophet? She recognized God's hand on him and how powerful. He said, let's build a room on him. Let's keep him right here. <laughs> I want God's presence. I want God's man right here. <laughs> let's build a room on where we can have. Remember what David did when he went and got the ark, brought it back, had a little hiccup because they got too zealous and didn't do what they should have been doing. They were rolling it in on carts, should have had it on the staves. They had a little mishap there, but by the time it was over, if you study that and get some background on that, David put that ark basically in his backyard. He wanted the presence of God. That's what kept him from getting in so much trouble. He did some stupid stuff. We all do. But he, he did some bad stuff, but he, he just loved God. He loved God in spite of his failures. He loved God. And the thing we see about David, it caused him to cling that much tighter to God. He realized what he was capable of. And that's what failure should do for us. It should cause us to cling tighter to the Lord and because we realize what we're capable of. Shouldn't push him away. That's what a lot of people do. They push him away. They feel guilty. The devil starts beating them up, all that kind of stuff. But we ought to just be able to say, hey, I see. I'm made out of flesh just like everybody else. So they had no room for them in the end. <clears throat> so he's born in the manger. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Uh, everybody's familiar with Jonathan Kahn, and he gives a pretty good argument of when this time was at, when this time was. That they would be having, the reason shepherds would be out in the fields was because the lambs would be, They'd be lambing. They'd be having lambs, and they got to watch and look for that, right? So he said that happened one time a year, right? It happened in the springtime around Passover. So there's a lot of misconception about because we think God flies an American flag above his throne, <laughs> which he don't, right? We think Jesus was born in December because we made that the time, right? Uh, which we've dispelled that. Most people around here don't, don't believe that. But celebrating his birth, I don't have a problem with that. We should celebrate his birth. His, we, if, you're, if you're having your own birthday and not recognizing Jesus, shame on you. His birthday is way more important than ours. But I don't have a problem with recognizing Jesus' birthday, and we don't know the day or that. But he makes a good argument, and Jonathan Kahn is kind of like uh, when you get deep, deep into Jewish stuff, and I, I get as deep as I can when I can, but I'm not a Jew. So it's just like Ken Ham is so much more skilled in things than I am in that area. I, I'm, I'm thankful that God has raised up people like that, that have uh, the ability to get in and see things that I don't have the ability or the time, right? And we benefit from people like Ken Ham and Jonathan Kahn, and maybe somebody in your own circle that God's given a certain gift to. So he makes a good argument about when this time of year was that they would have been out in the fields. The shepherds would have been out in the field in the springtime of the year because the sheep were lambing. So uh, not that that is critical to anybody's salvation or anything, but 
He bring, he, he's, it's good. If you get a chance, you might want to watch what he talks about there. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I, would, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ our Lord, Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Let me say something about this while I, before I leave uh, Jonathan Kahn. Uh, and he's, he's getting this. As far as I know, I'm not getting this yet. Uh, but uh, when your voice is out there, like Jonathan Kahn's and mine now, not to the degree his is, of course, but they can take AI and make me say anything. And they've been doing that to Jonathan Kahn. They've taken his voice and putting words in his mouth. So if you come across something about somebody that you've respected and you're hearing something stupid come out of their mouth, don't jump to any conclusions. Because it's AI. They, they can do anything. I've, I've been cautioned uh, by Keith. Keith, you know, in our, he, he works in that world, has worked in that world for years. for a doctor, And they can take my voice and make me be a... a <clears throat> Uh, Duke fan, <laughs> whatever, right? I mean, they if you if you've got enough if you've got enough uh, <laughs> Blue Devils are number twelve, right? <laughs> so you you can uh, if there's enough inf- enough of you you out there, right? I mean, they've been doing this for years with. Photoshopping, right? That was the beginning of that. Well, now they can take people's voices. and So just be really careful and don't jump to conclusions when you hear something and think, I'm going to go get them in the head, Lord. Because they said such and Well, it may not be true. That, I, I mean, that's... I don't want to say it's scary, uh, but it, in some ways, it, it, I, we're not afraid of nothing. We know the Lord's on our side. But just be careful about that because he's really been having to deal with it. They've been putting words in his mouth. Rolling Stone has attacked him. The magazine. Why do they care about Jonathan Kahn? But anyway, all that kind of stuff, you guys got to be careful with it because that's the day, that's the world we're in now. So the angels, they were praising God and says, Glory to God in the highest and the earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, Now God's saying that. And you know what he said in John? He said, and this is what we need to get sorted out in our lives, all of us. He said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world does, but my peace, right? And so we got to be careful not to get caught up in what the world offers us as peace versus what God offers us as peace, right? He said, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm in charge, so... We don't have to worry because we don't own tomorrow. Cheer up. You might not even be here tomorrow. <laughs> so it was when the angels had gone away from, it, from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. And that's a fitting that Jesus was there because he is the bread of life, the house of bread. And see this thing that has come to pass and the Lord has made known to us that they came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which they uh, told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in their heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. 
a lot of stuff going on, you know. It's just, uh, and when eight days were completed, the circumcision uh, uh, for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, and the name given to uh, by an angel of the Lord conceived in the name given by the angel of the Lord before he was conceived in the womb. So, here's Yeshua, Jesus, Yahshua, same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. He's come on the scene. It mentions him and John the Baptist both being circumcised, so it's important that they were identified with Abraham, with God's setting aside these people. If I can remind you of this, and uh, medical science has even proven this out, that the eighth day was the best day to circumcise a child. Now, they do it before they get them out of the hospital now because they can give them a shot of vitamin K and get them on out. Good, bad, or ugly, right? But vitamin K comes to the point where it's, best on the eighth day, the natural process, uh, all the things I've read, but they can speed that process up by giving a child <clears throat> vitamin K now. But anyway, it just goes to prove God's got a plan. He's got everything uh, the way. He's, God's the best at everything, right? He's the best teacher. He's the best preacher. He's the best scientist. He's the best, best of everything. So uh, he's, he's, he's identified with Abraham. But now Abram was a Gentile. His separation from Chaldea, given the seal of circumcision, given the ways of God, became the friend of God. His separation and his line became known as the Israelites, the Jews. But he was a Gentile in the beginning. Called out. Right? That's, what, that's a picture of salvation, right? You're in this crowd in the world, right? And God calls us out. And he does what he did with Abraham. He breathed life into Abram and changed him to Abraham. He breathed life into Sarah and changed her to Sarah. And Sarah, I'm sorry. Sarah to Sarah. <laughs> so that's what happens to us. The Holy Spirit comes into our life, breathes the life. We believe on Jesus and we're called out of that place, wherever that place is. And now we have a new life. And, and we have a new direction. It's what happened with Abraham. So there has to be the identity from John and Jesus back to not only David, but also to Abraham. And that's what we're seeing there. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem and present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy in the Lord. So the first fruits of the womb, right, belong unto the Lord, whether it's an animal a son, whatever, to respect that, to honor that. They did. They're still under the law. And if you didn't get a chance to listen last night, you need to go back and listen to last night how that worked out, right? How Jesus came and married that old geezer or old bat <laughs> and got them out of the way so we could be free to marry the woman who was full of long, or the man who was full of long suffering and truth and mercy. And grace, right? You see all that. That's why he took us there. And so <clears throat> they, they're still under the law. Jesus has not fulfilled everything yet and brought in, brought us into that new covenant. So they're doing all that. Jesus had to fulfill the law, every jot and tittle. He's doing it. Uh, and he says, uh, they came and offered a sacrifice according to what is said of the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I mentioned this last night. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring an animal in here every week. And I'm glad I don't have to stand up here and kill it every week. <laughs> uh, not yet that I know of, but they're going to. They're, they're getting ready to. 
because that's they're blinded. And good question, by the way. The question, so you guys, I should restate them. I'll try to get better at that. And also, I should tell you, if I mention a clip in a sermon that we've already done, it'll be tagged onto the sermon that you're listening to or watching. Uh, but I'm trying to get better about remembering that stuff. I need a cheat sheet here. But the, a question that has been posed is, uh, are, they not still, are they still sacrificing in Israel? Not as a rule, maybe somebody is, but we don't, not as a rule, but that's coming. They're preparing because the Jews as a whole, unlike Jonathan Kahn and some of those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, as a nation, they don't believe that the Messiah has come yet. They're still looking for him. They, they believe in a Messiah, and that's why a lot of people don't understand. They just don't believe he's come yet, and so they've been blinded because of their unbelief and for the sake of the Gentiles, according to Romans, and we'll be heading that way soon. Uh, but that is coming. And so when they sacrifice that goat, won't that be another slap in the face of God? Uh... Well, it's not a good thing, but he's the one that foretold all that and laid all that out. So he is going to open their eyes, but they're, it's like that person that's trying to do good but don't see the, real, the truth, right? I mean, that's, that's who they are. You, we run across those people who, well, I, you know, have you ever tried to witness somebody and they say, well, I'm a good person, right? And then you run in. I think that's how the Jews are going to be. They're going to think they're doing the right thing. And, and God's long-suffering and mercy. But you're right, it is a, it's, it's a kind of a, an, anti, the anti of Christ. But it's coming because the, 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 the temple's going to get built. And, and I've shared this when we teach on Revelation, prophetic thing. We don't, we don't have to see the temple being built for the, us to leave here, the rapture. We could leave here and they could start that temple right after the rapture and have it up and running before the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years. Because it has to be up and running that they'll be in there sacrificing for the Antichrist to come in and, and act like he's God. So the temple will be up running like it did in the Old Testament uh, and, or, and parts of the New Testament. The temple's still running now. While, I mean, what we're reading here in Luke, the temple is still up and running. Uh, they're still practicing all that while Jesus is walking the earth. They're still uh, that only stopped after A.D. seventy, right? In fact, I read where the Jews tried to sew the veil back up, even though God Himself rent it, right, from the top to the bottom, and that veil was multiple feet high. It wasn't like a man could go up there and do it. So it was rent from top to bottom. God showing us that access was given to all of us. Uh, I read somewhere where they said they tried to sew it back up. As if to say, we, we don't want people to have access here. You know, they had a monopoly. They had, they had a um, system. It was a man-made system. They'd gotten so corrupt, they didn't want the people to have. And that's what happened to the, the Catholic Church over the years, you know. And so you've got to be careful uh, that you don't get corrupt and caught up into your own system. And so they... Uh, uh, they're, they're, they're going to have that up and running. But what I have said to people is this. If you see that temple started, I mean, if you actually, if we see them breaking ground, you better get your bags packed. What's that, a new phrase I heard the other day? You better be rapture ready. 
If you see that temple going up, it's quitting time. Remember that old whistle they used to blow on the Flintstones? And Fred got to jump in his car and run home. Uh, it's, it'll be close. But now I'm not saying that's what you need to wait for because we could leave here before they start that temple. There's so much zeal and all the accumulation of the material and stuff ready for that. They could, with modern technology, they could get that temple up and running in no time. And it just has to be up and running by the middle of the seven years of tribulation. I, it'll be running before that, but that's when it has to be running for the Antichrist to actually be able to do what he's going to do. So they're not sacrificing as a nation yet, but that's coming. And behold, uh, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And as it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, it came to the, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Listen what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which is a person, Jesus, God in the flesh, which you have prepared before the face of all people. So he takes it further. Mary and, and Zacharias are focusing on Israel, but watch what he does. He says, when you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Thank God he didn't leave us out, right? And the glory of your people, Israel. So he, he saw the whole reason for salvation. He's prophesying that. Mary and Zacharias were thankful that God was coming to visit Israel, rightfully so. They're in that house, that lineage. They were grateful. But Simeon took it a step, he took it a step further. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon um, uh, blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now this is strange to the world, and it can hit you wrong if you're not careful. Us. Think about Jesus making this statement. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I come to bring division. There'll be two in this house against three and three against two. That's a pretty powerful statement, if you think, because the world, they're constantly searching for peace. And to hear the one we follow and serve say, I'm, I'm going to bring division. He knew that because not everybody would choose him, right? We've been given a will. Right? And with that will, we have the ability to choose good or evil. We have the ability to choose to be a follower of Christ or to do our own thing. Think about the will. We talked about this yesterday morning in the setting. The will, <clears throat> I heard an old timer say, if we knew what the will was all about, we'd try to give it back to God. We don't want it. But without a will, you're a robot. Two things can only come out of a will, and that is trust and sin. If you didn't have a will, you could neither trust nor sin. You'd be a robot. But God risked the fact that the majority of the world would choose to sin and live their own lives 
versus trusting him, but he's after that remnant, right? He wants that remnant. He buys the whole field. So Jesus came in. You know the parable. He, he paid the price for the whole field. Whosoever will, it's not his will that any would perish. So God, Jesus paid the price for everybody's sins. The, he bought the whole field knowing he would only get one precious pearl out of it. The true believer, the true church. But he bought the whole field. We, a lot of people messed up that parable thing. It's about them. It's not about us. It's about him. He bought the whole field knowing he would only get one precious pearl. That's you and I. God, if you, if you didn't have a free will, you could neither sin nor trust. You'd be programmed just to do whatever. But God so desired to have relationship, he, put, he gave us a will and put all that on the line. I've said this before, this is, if I have to chain my wife up in the closet to keep her in my marriage, in our marriage, I don't have a marriage. No relationship in that. I know that's crude and a bad way to put it, but just so everybody can see that, right? You, you, if you don't, relationship's the highest thing in life, and the older you get, the more you see that. It ain't about stuff. It's about relationships. If you've got a $10 million yacht and your dog won't even get on it with you, then who wants a yacht? You float around by yourself all the time, right? <laughs> so it's all about relationships. And it takes us a while to learn that, right? We, we, and we still grow in that. But God wants that relationship. He wants that with us, that He risk. If God took a risk, He took a risk that we might choose to sin and do our own thing rather than follow Him. And most people have done that. There's many going to destruction. Few are going to heaven. But that's, that's relationship. He wants relationship. And you could not neither sin nor trust without a free will. Wouldn't be no relationship. And, and relationship's beautiful once it's worked out in Christ, right? <clears throat> so everybody's getting uh, a word in here, right? Anna's up to the plate next. It uh, says, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel, uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in an instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Everybody's starting to see the sign. These Bible studies <clears throat> that we all do around here now, and I've been doing these for 20-some years, because the Holy Spirit spoke to me maybe closer to 30 years now, and He said, you need to provide different feeding times for the sheep because shift work. we got people in this church that work every weekend or every other weekend. we got people that can't come in the morning, can't come in the evening. So the Lord burdened me, and it's, like, it's that way everywhere now. Shift work, the way we do four on, three off. I mean, it's just crazy how shift work has affected church, and, and not just church, but other things, right? And so the Lord burdened me and said, you need to feed the sheep. He said, I, and I heard what Peter heard. He said, if you love me, feed the sheep. If you love me, feed the sheep. If you love me, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep if you love me. And I hear that. So I step, but the reason we're, part of the reason we're here today, and I want you to hear this. There was a woman 
in the community where I first started pastoring like this woman. I started Bible study. She was a widow woman. She walked for about a mile to come to that Bible study. Didn't have a car, couldn't drive. And it was just me and her for I don't know how long having Bible study. And just her faithfulness caused me to hang in there. The devil didn't want me to start feeding the sheep at different times. He, would, he, he, he didn't want that to happen. He wanted me just to be a Sunday dude, and that's it, right? He didn't want all these other feeding times where the sheep could get fed and build up, and they could get fat and fluffy. <laughs> but she encouraged me. I was a lot younger then. I near as old as I am now. And that widow woman came to that Bible study faithfully and had to walk sometimes to get there. And uh, that's what strengthened me. Her faithfulness strengthened me. Think about these people right here. Hanging in there till they saw what they were waiting on. They were, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Bad choice of words probably in English, but it means people who refuse to be denied. Just like Jacob, he said, I'm not letting you go. Do you bless me? Right? Hanging on to the Lord out there wrestling with God. And that woman, that's one of my favorite stories when Jesus said, we don't give the meat off the master's tables to dogs. But she said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumb. She didn't get offended. She didn't go home, run Jesus down on social media. She hung right in there and said, and Jesus put her to the test and she passed. So that's who we need to be. It's, it's encouraging to see these. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days and returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. I'm getting just a little bit of ring up here, uh, Andrew. If you, maybe it's my old age. <laughs> you can hear it too? Yeah, I'm getting a little ring. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teacher's both listening to him, it's good, to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. So, I mean, he's already stepping on the scene at 12 years old. But you've you got to remember, this is a 12-year-old, but it's also God in the flesh. Right? I mean, he's, he's way advanced. You're, he is... Remember what he said? They said, uh, he, he made some of them angry, and they said, we're Abraham's dudes, right? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Right? So he's, he's way beyond this. He's God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. He was around before. He's just now manifest himself in a natural body, but you're still talking about God in the flesh. Talking about the understanding and uh, infinite all knowledge, Right? <clears throat> So they, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. God had been trying to prepare them, but I guess it'd be hard to fully understand that 
when you're looking at a 12-year-old that just marveled all the priests have been studying all their lives. You know, separating that would have been difficult, right? I mean, if you're Joseph and Mary, although everything about him was supernatural, but still, we all live in the flesh. Even Mary and Joseph did, and they uh, probably trying to wrestle with that. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, was subject to them, and was subject to them, but his, uh, but his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and nature, stature and favor with God and men. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being patriarch of, um, of Galilee, his brother Philip, patriarch of Iturea uh, and the region of Trachonitis uh, and Lassanius, patriarch of Abilene, that's out in Texas, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, right? Here comes John. In the wilderness, and he went into the region around Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord. Stick to with Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you run across something that don't line up with Jesus and His Word, toss it out. That, that's the surest way to be okay. Keep your eyes on Jesus and, and read what He says and stick with it. And if you get anything contrary to that, kick it out of your life. It's really that sin. Where did we... It's, I know social media has really promoted that, and it started before that even, but... Why do we think we have to know everything about everything out there? We don't. Stick with this. Give your mind a break. You don't have to waller with all that dung. That's what Paul called it. Can I say dung? <laughs> you don't have to waller with all that dung out there. Just stick with this. Keep your eyes on this. Be simple-minded. My wife said this happened to her. My wife has to use the computer some, quite a bit, I'd say. And she's got a certain program. And she, this program she's using, and she, it's, she's got it to where she, it does everything she needs to do. Somebody came by. This was comical to me because she's a little bit more like me, and she likes to admit, I think, because <laughs> we've been together too long. <laughs> we rub off on each other. Uh, but she said, somebody come by and said, oh, let me show you all the other things that this program will do. And she said, no, I don't want to know. It's doing exactly what I need it to do. I don't want to boggle my mind with all that stuff. But there's, that's human nature. If we're not careful, we'll think, man, I need to know what's everything about everything. You don't need to know everything about everything. In fact, I've shared this story before. When I go to the monastery, one of the monks that I sat down with one time, he said, we believe that we're all trying to process way too much information. God did not design us to do that. He said, one of the things we promote here is for you to just rest and learn how to Silah and wait on the Lord and not, not fill your mind with everything. We don't have to know everything, right? But you do need to know this. This is where it needs to start. And then as your life unfolds, you'll learn what things to give yourself to. Some of it will be natural things. That's how God... we got to be out there in the natural world. We're in the world, not of it. But just don't bog your mind down with everything. You don't need your mind. Sometimes your mind needs to be free so we can learn how to rest. Amen? And so it says, make his path straight. Now, when I got to the bottom of that phrase there uh, a few years back, it didn't, it didn't mean what I thought it meant. When you look at that, 
It's like, here comes Jesus down the road. Get everything out of His way so He can get through. That's not what's being said there. What's being said there, it's a direct hit on all of us. He's saying, get everything out of His way so He can come into you. That's what He's saying there. John's saying, get all the junk. Now that goes back to what we started with today. See, remember that? Make room. Oh, Jesus can't come over stay all night because that bedroom, we ain't using it for years. We got it piled up there thing. Well, get it out and let Jesus come in. Let Him use the bedroom. Throw it out the window. Throw, take it to the dump. Whatever. But make room for Him in your life. Go build another room on if you have to. Now, this is all figurative speaking, but do whatever you have to do to make room for Jesus. And I'm saying that as forceful as I can and as radical as I can. You better find some room for Jesus somewhere in your life. Because if you don't, it ain't going to end with it. Well, somebody said, I don't know what to give up. Well, go to the back of the line and start peeling it off till you get room for Jesus. And push everything else down. Something's got to go. If you don't have time for Jesus and room for Him, something's got to go. Because He said you cannot love your mother, father, brother, sister, husband, wife more than me and be my disciple. Now that's cutting all the fat off the steak right there. Can't love anybody more than Him. In fact, we've all seen this. We've all watched people fall in love with somebody, some people, maybe their children, maybe a, an acquaintance. Listen, we wouldn't even have any children if it wasn't for God. How can we love them more than Him? We wouldn't even have a son or a daughter if it wasn't for God. He gives every good and perfect gift that we have has come from Him, the Bible says. It didn't crawl out of a pond. It didn't come from a magician. It didn't come out of your family tree. There wouldn't be no family tree for any of us. It wasn't for God. So we've got to make room for Him. And I would say this, and I don't want to saddle nobody up with this, but I would say we're so close to the finish line, we might be needing to make more room for Him than we ever have in our lives. He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and do it more. Right? Make more room for Him. Make more, because you see that day coming. We all see that day coming. You, you have to be blind not to see that day coming spiritually blind so do you have room for jesus we're closing right there do you have room for jesus and i'm i know i'm talking to a wider audience so do you have room for jesus if you don't have room for jesus you better get rid of something and make sure you find some room for him because that's the only way out of here is through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for the beauty of salvation. We thank you for all the confirmations that we have in the Scripture and out of the Scripture of you, Jesus, your life, your power, your resurrection, everything. You are the one, and there is no other. And by your truth, we live, and in you, we live and move and have our being. There's none beside you. In Jesus' name, amen.